Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Dear God. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Sometimes we get stuck in situations from which we need to be rescued. Take, for example, the adult man who was challenged by his friends to fit into a baby swing at a public park in 2011 in Vallejo, California. I think it's up by the Bay Area. This wise young man managed to slide into a baby swing using liquid laundry detergent, but couldn't slide back out. As his legs began to swell, his friend said so long and left him in the park, stuck in the swing overnight. He wasn't rescued until nine hours later when a groundskeeper heard his screams for help at six o'clock in the morning. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, the man, quote, sustained non-life-threatening injuries to his body, but there's no word yet on the condition of his ego. (laughs) Or perhaps you could be like this other guy who in late 2016 in Tucson, Arizona, this homeowner locked his keys in his house and attempted to retrieve them by re-entering his abode through the chimney. While it was a spectacularly bad idea, he actually almost made it if you're a glass half full person. He got all the way down to where his feet could touch the bottom of the fireplace, but the chimney narrowed about that point and he couldn't get any further. Firefighters were able to pull him back out from the roof, back up the chimney. (laughs) He was covered in soot but otherwise unharmed. We all get stuck in places sometimes in which we need someone bigger and stronger to pull us out. It could be a mess that we've made, or it could be a mess that we're stuck in that somebody else made. It wasn't our fault. Today we're going to look at what King David wrote after being delivered from a mess that he walked into. It wasn't his fault. And um, he's got some great insights for us. So we're continuing our series in the book of Psalms, uh, book one, called Dear God. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Psalm 34 and take out your notes from the worship folder and, and follow along with me. If you forgot your Bible, you can just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We can loan you one. We want you to have a copy with you. We've been learning in this series on prayer in the Psalms, that the Psalms are a collection of worship songs, Hebrew worship songs. They were used in Hebrew worship services. But book one of the Psalms, in particular, is also King David's personal prayer journal, in which he records his highs and lows as he walks with the Lord through his life. In Psalm 34, we have a prayer that David wrote after he was delivered from a very sticky situation. And thus, our big idea for today is this, 
The Lord delights to deliver us, so we will delight in Him. The Lord delights to deliver us, to deliver us so that we will delight in Him. Most Bibles have a superscription near the chapter number of 34 that says something like this. Of David, when he changed his behavior, or some translations say pretended to be insane, before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and went away. The backstory of this psalm comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 to 15. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but I'll just paraphrase and give you the backstory real quick. You can look it up later if you'd like, or just jot it down. Um, you might remember that David was anointed in 1 Samuel by the prophet Samuel to be the next king that would replace Saul. Saul had uh, disappointed the Lord and was not loyal to the Lord, and so um, uh, the Lord directed Samuel to go and find a new king, and so thus he anointed a young man who was a teenager, a son of Jesse, a shepherd boy named David. This enraged Saul, the fleshly king. He was threatened by this. Uh, just imagine if you were told by the owner of your company or the head of your organization that you're going to get your boss's job, but there's a catch. You don't get your boss's job until your boss dies 10 years from now. And in the meantime, I'm going to tell everybody that you're getting your boss's job, including your boss, and you still have to serve under your boss until your boss dies, but you can't kill your boss either. That's what David found himself in, that situation. And since Saul couldn't punish God for demoting him from the throne, Saul sought to punish David. About the age of 20, David was forced to flee from Saul's palace because Saul was making increasingly more dangerous threats and attempts to take David's life. And for the next 10 years, David lived sort of a Robin Hood life on the lamb, on the run, as they say, uh, going from town to town, fleeing from uh, loyalists to King Saul. And if somebody spotted him in a town that was a loyalist to King Saul, David would hurry up and scurry out and go somewhere else and disguise his identity, hide in caves. Now, although the Lord seemed distant during this season of his life and seemed uncaring, the Lord was actually working in his life. The Lord was preparing and shaping David to be a king different than Saul. He was preparing David and shaping his heart so that he would be a man after God's own heart. Enter then the events from 1 Samuel 21. While on the run, David was forced to flee to the city of Gath in the land of the Philistines. The Philistines, you might remember, are the arch enemies at the time of the people of Israel. So David's having to run from his homeland, pursued by Saul, and one of the places he has to find safe haven is in the land of the enemy, the Philistines. The Philistines were fierce enemies of Israel, and Gath is where he runs to in 1 Samuel 21. Gath is the hometown of Goliath. Yes, that Goliath. 
the one that David killed a few years earlier. So, so you know, if you're David, you got to be going, are you kidding me? <laughs> the only place I can go to get safety from Saul is to go to the hometown of the guy that I killed a few years earlier. They're, they're going to want to kill me, right? So uh, David uh, is able to take cover in Gath for just a short period of time, but once his true identity is discovered by King Achish, David pretended to be insane by writing on walls and drooling on his beard. Thus the superscription by the beginning of Psalm 34. This was a shrewd and deceptive tactic by David because in the ancient world it was considered dangerous to harm mentally ill people out of fear that it would provoke the evil spirits that possessed those people. And so mentally ill people sort of had... Uh, Geneva Convention rights or protections. Uh, uh, various countries were afraid to do anything to him. And so they left David alone, thinking he's mentally ill, and they didn't quite recognize who he was, and David was able to escape. So David was caught between that metaphorical rock and a hard place. He's got Saul closing in from behind him. He's trying to hide out in the land of the Philistines so he can't be found by Saul. And he continues to get discovered and found out while he's on the run and supposed to be the next king. You could even say he escaped by the hair on his chinny-chin-chin. He was about 30 when Saul eventually died and was installed as the new king of Israel. Now Psalm 34 is a cathartic prayer after he escapes from Gath. It's uh, this close call that he's had in his life, and it's this sense of release that you'll see here in Psalm 34, like, like, a, like a, a high school or a college student just getting out of finals week, just like, oh, just a big weight lifted off of me. That's kind of the sense you're going to get here from Psalm 34. Like Psalm 25 that we studied a few weeks ago, Psalm 34 is written as an acrostic, with each verse beginning with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is most likely because um, the psalm was taught by Hebrew parents to their children, and the alphabetical arrangement would have made it easier to memorize. And it also tells us that the content of this psalm was important enough that parents wanted their kids to memorize its content. Now, of the six categories of psalms that I mentioned at the beginning of the series, Psalm 34 is classified as both a thanksgiving and wisdom psalm. This is because it breaks slightly unevenly uh, into two halves. Verses 1 through 10, if you look at your Bible, contain um, grateful worship for the Lord for coming through when David was in a tight spot. And then verses 11 to 22 transition to teaching on how to manage your witness when you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Psalm 34 answers the questions, why should I praise the Lord when I don't feel like it? And it answers the question, how can I please the Lord while I wait for deliverance. And so with that, let's look at the text together. In your Bibles, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. David writes, 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Here's the first point on your outline. The first truth that this psalm speaks to us is that the Lord is good to his people. The Lord is good to his people. After experiencing the Lord's deliverance, David says his praise of the Lord will never stop. I have underlined in my Bible, and you might want to do the same, continually. I also have underlined at all times. It will never stop because David realizes he could never praise the Lord enough, and the praise that he does give will always fall short. Why? Because he knows the severity of the danger he was delivered from, and he knows the enormity of the one that did the delivering. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Colossians 1.13, just in case you're thinking, well, I can't think of a situation I've been delivered from. Well, if you profess to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you actually have been delivered. Colossians 1.13 says that anyone who professes Christ as their Lord and Savior has been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Paul painted a very vivid picture for the Colossians uh, so they would appreciate the fact that you were born... <laughs> Destined for hell, but your faith in Christ has transferred you to a destination of heaven. And so it leads me to this question I want to ask you to ponder. If you've been delivered, are you continually praising the Lord? I mean like verbally giving thanks to the Lord for things that he's helped you do. Or singing praise throughout your week because you love the Lord. You see, people that are delivered want to praise the Lord. And they do so a lot. They recognize how desperately lost they were without Christ and how tremendously good He was to save them. And if you don't continually praise the Lord, then I would ask, why not? Is it because you haven't been delivered? David says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. He's not boasting, interestingly, about his acting job that got him out of gas. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, man, I did a great job. I could have won an Oscar for the acting job I did. No, no, no. He gives credit to the Lord for getting him out of gas because he knows that could have gone south. It's because he knows nothing that he does that's praiseworthy. He, can, he can't do anything praiseworthy without the Lord's help. And anything that he does is praiseworthy, the Lord deserves credit for. In verse 3, David then uh, invites his followers to join him in praising the Lord. Because he's confident that what God did for him, God can do for them as well. 
So how is the Lord good to his people? Well, David explains in the next seven verses. Uh, Look at verses four through six. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man, David referring to himself, cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And so here's A, B, and C in your outline. One of the first ways that David mentions that the Lord is good is that A, he answers the prayers of those that fear him. He answers the prayers of those that fear him. I sought the Lord and he answered me. You might remember how in Psalm 13 we learned that even David uh, had to wait on God for answers to prayer. And then in Psalm 22, which we studied a few weeks ago, we were reminded that just like David, there will be times when we feel forgotten by God because the answers are taking a long time. And they're just they're, they're going to be seasons, like in Psalm 22, where God seems silent. Well, Psalm 34 shows us that David kept praying and eventually got an answer. If you've been waiting for an answer to prayer that just seems to never come, you can glean encouragement here from Psalm 34, verse 4, that eventually it will. You can glean encouragement from the fact that David got an answer after he waited on God. David's life is proof that the Lord isn't looking for perfect people to give answers to, just persistent people that love him. The answer may not be what you want, but you will get an answer. And sometimes the answer you want has to wait for the right timing as well. Next, uh, David rattles off a few, a couple, another thing that uh, the Lord uh, blesses his people with because he's good. In verses 7 and 8, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Here's letter B, the Lord protects those that fear him. He protects those that fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps. Angels are ministering spirits that serve and protect God's people in the spiritual realm, like a presidential candidate that's been granted uh, secret service protection. When a sinner Uh, repents of their sins and trusts Christ by faith alone and grace alone for their salvation, the Lord assigns a protective detail to that new believer. The verb in camps tells us that this detail is permanent. It's not transient. However, this angelic guard is different than the secret service in that This angelic guard will only allow the believer to be wounded by bullets that will make him or her more like Christ. Now, because we can't see the work of angels doesn't mean they're not working. In fact, I I look forward to being in eternity someday and being able to see the warfare and the answers to prayer and what was going on in the spiritual realm that I didn't see. I look forward to that. I'm sure I'll be surprised. Uh, but the doubting believer might be tempted to think this. Well, if I'm protected by angels, why have so many people hurt me? 
I think the Lord's answer to the question would be, if you weren't protected by angels, you'd be hurting a lot more. You see, we don't see what they've done for us. And we know from the scriptures they're doing a lot. Now please note that the protection is conditional upon fearing the Lord in verse 7. And to fear the Lord, in short, is to have such a reverent awe of Him and affection for Him that you change your lifestyle and submit your life to following Him. Where God's presence and oversight of your life affects all your decisions when you're around people and when you're alone. Because you know the Lord is always with you and always watching. Next, David uses a culinary metaphor. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a popular verse you probably have heard before. Like someone eating a gourmet dish in a five-star restaurant, David is wanting all of us to experience the, uh, the, the great ex- taste and blessing. And uh, I'm trying to think of a, a great word for those that taste, they, they make the living tasting and they're writing for magazines, you know, those authors that write articles about various restaurants, the reviewers. Well, David is saying, hey, I trusted God and he came through. Come and you do the same thing. I want you to experience it. It's not a dare to check out God's credentials, but rather an invitation to walk with the Lord so that we can experience God's goodness just like David did. Next, uh, so, so the Lord protects those that fear him. He also provides for those that fear him. He provides. We see this in verses 9 and 10. The, oh, fear the Lord, David says. You as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Whenever, let me give you just a little uh, uh, Bible study clue here, a secret, a Bible study secret. When there's an animal mentioned in the Bible, almost always there's a reason why a particular species is mentioned. In this particular situation, the lion, the king of the jungle, who sits at the top of the food chain and is able to provide for himself, David is saying, in essence, even the most dominant animal in the animal kingdom, in its healthiest season of life, notice it says young lions. It's not saying old lions, when they maybe need other animals to feed them in their in their pride, Um, young lions that are able to hunt for themselves, even they sometimes go hungry, but not those who fear the Lord. Not those who fear the Lord. The goodness of God can be difficult to see, especially when we feel he's withholding something that we think we need or deserve or something we've been asking him for. And I have to admit, I've struggled with that in my own walk with the Lord. But I have, I've been finding comfort in learning more about the goodness of God this year as I've been working my way through a, a Puritan classic called All Things for Good. It's written by a, uh, an old Puritan pastor named Thomas Watson. And I think it was written maybe in the 1600s. Um, 
It's a classic and a very popular book on the doctrine of God's goodness. I commend the Kindle version to you, by the way, because I think it's the only version that has the English updated. I don't want you thinking more highly of my reading level than you should, because I couldn't read a Puritan classic unless the English has been modernized. And so I look for that when I'm on Amazon. Um, So the Kindle version of All Things for Good by Thomas Watson, it's really good. Watson shares this great insight into the goodness of God and our desires and the tension that exists. He says this, If it is good for us, then we shall have it. If it is not good for us, then the withholding of it is good. This is a difficult truth for us to swallow. Because I have found in my own life that our inherited sin nature convinces us that everything we want is good for us. And then the adversary tries to tell us that a God who withholds can't be good. Let me just look at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5 in the garden. But we have to fight this with the truth of Scripture. John Owen said something very similar. He's another well-known Puritan pastor. Uh, 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 he said, uh, he said if, if, if we get it from the Lord, it's necessary. If we don't get it, it's not necessary. So the application. This is getting too convicting. Let's just move on to application, all right? Praise the Lord continually at all times. I think the application is in verse 1. Praise the Lord continually at all times. Our praise of him should be just as unconditional as his love is for us. This means that if you have no desire to praise the Lord throughout the week, you have a serious spiritual problem. Because David says that people who have been delivered can't help but praise the Lord. It means that the Lord is not pleased and he is not fooled by the manipulation and game playing that we do when, okay, God, I'm not happy with you and you're not doing what I want, so therefore I'm not going to church today. Or, okay, I'll go to church, but I'm folding my arms and I'm not singing because, God, you haven't come through for me like I wanted you to. He's not quaking in his boots. He's not afraid. And he's not impressed by that. Not wanting to praise the Lord continually could mean that you don't understand or appreciate your deliverance if you profess to know Christ. And if you profess to know Christ but listen to secular music more than worship music during the week, then you have a problem in your walk with the Lord that you need to fix. And I realize I'm, I'm treading on uh, thin ice here, so I'm, gonna, I wanna, I'm asking the Lord to help me be graciously bold. I have some secular music that I still like to listen to. Over the last 25 years since I've been walking with Jesus, I've been purging my library of secular music because maybe you've gone through what I have now that I'm redeemed by the Holy Spirit and I'm a parent. I hear lyrics that I go, oh, that's what that song means? I can't listen to that song anymore. Man, I liked that song when I was in high school, though. Ah, 
delete. <laughs> Got to throw that one out. But I have been able to narrow down my library, I think, to a group of songs that, although they are made by unbelievers and they are amoral, they, they, they don't condone sin or condone holiness, they're just sort of morally neutral, um, I still have to be careful how much I listen to it. And I find that on days when, say, I'm doing some chores and I want to hear some 80s hair rock, and maybe a little 70s classic rock, I find that I have to sort of detox my brain and, I, and my soul, the spirit in me just finds, man, I, I need to put some worship music on. I just, I feel like I need a, a cleanse, you know? Even though the stuff I was listening to wasn't saying bad stuff, I just, I want to get God's word back into my mind and my heart. There are other times, like when I go to the gym and I'm working out, I, I have playlists on my phone and I've got some, you know, hard rock playlists, but there are times where I go and I don't, I don't want to hear the hard rock, I play the worship rock. Because I need to hear while I'm on the treadmill or throwing up 250 pounds on bench press <laughs> so I can look good in my winter Vanguard gear. I need to hear biblical theology playing in my head because I'm discouraged or I'm being tempted by the adversary. I need to hear praise being played in my mind. Do you know, when I was in high school, uh, I worked for a retail clothing store and I remember uh, one Christmas season, the store manager saying, make sure you put the Christmas music on. I said, oh, really? we got to play that already? I mean, this was back in the late 80s, and it was around Thanksgiving time. And uh, the store manager said something I'll never forget. Yes, our company has done research and has found that when Christmas music is playing in the store, people spend more money. And I share that with you to say... If the world has figured that out, the power of music to influence your spending habits, then how much more do we need to fill our minds with worship music about the Lord and the gospel through the week so that we want to love Christ and walk more closely with him? If music can get us to spend more money, imagine what music could do that's Christ-centered and filled with good theology. Imagine how I could help your walk with the Lord. That's what I'm trying to say. And so, again, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong or sinful with wanting to replay some high school prom themes every now and then. However, if that's all you listen to and you profess to know Christ, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. Because those that have been born again and have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them want to praise the Lord. It's all over the scriptures. They want to praise the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 1. Didn't have time in this series to get to this psalm, but in Psalm 33, verse 1, it says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, meaning you believers, because it is fitting, or some translations say it befits the upright 
to praise him. Meaning, it's becoming, it's attractive, it's appropriate. You should praise the Lord. Amen. That's what it means. Psalm 33, verse 1. So, are you praising the Lord continually at all times? Is it coming out of your soul and through your mouth? Because the Lord delights to deliver us, so we will delight in Him. Next, what follows in the remainder of this psalm is instruction on how to maintain a witness that fears the Lord while you're in a tight spot. So here's number two in your outline. The Lord blesses those that obey Him. The Lord blesses those that obey Him. Just like you would do in your parenting, you're not going to reward bad behavior. You, when you're parenting your kids and grandkids, reward good behavior because you want to reinforce that. Oh, you got your chores done? Well, then you get to have video games or phone time. Oh, you didn't get your chores done? Well, guess what? You don't get the privileges of video games and phone time. Look at verses 11 to 17. David begins to rattle off. He says, there's the, here's the pivot verse, verse 11. Come, O children, and listen to me. Gather around, and I will teach you what it looks like to fear the Lord, he says. Verse 12. What man is there who desires life and love many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So this list here that David's rattling off to say, hey, the Lord blesses those that obey Him. It's a list containing the convictions of those who fear the Lord. These are some things, it's not all things, these are a few things, David is saying, that people who fear the Lord do. For example, in verse 13, genuine Christ followers control their tongue and they don't lie. In verse 14, they avoid evil, seek to do good, and they do their best to reconcile broken relationships. Here's a couple subpoints for you, letters A and B under number two. Uh, a couple things, I, uh, blessings I wanted to highlight. Those who fear the Lord and obey Him receive, here's A, the attention of Jesus. You get the attention of Jesus. Verse 15, it's a powerful verse. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. This is another anthropomorphism. It, it, it means it's a human um, quality being put on God, who's not human, to try and help us understand how God works. And so, obviously, God doesn't have eyes and he doesn't have ears like we do, but it's the psalmist here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, trying to help us visualize the Lord looks towards, he turns towards the righteous when they cry out to him, and he leans his ear in to listen attentively. It's called an anthropomorphism. 
like a young mother who takes her toddler to the park, never taking her eye off her little one, and listening closely and intently for his voice amongst the other kids. So the Lord intently watches over and listens to those that have a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. This is meant to be in stark contrast to uh, those described in verse 16. Unbelievers don't get this privilege of attention from the Lord. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. They don't get God's ear because their sin still separates them from God. But verse 17 says the Lord responds to the cries of the godly and delivers them out of their troubles in his perfect timing and when the troubles have accomplished their purpose. So, believers that obey the Lord and fear the Lord, they get the attention of Jesus. Next, letter B, they also get the affection of Jesus. They get the affection of Jesus. And this is in... Verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The affection of Jesus. Verse 18 is a, another popular verse, and it's one that I have read many times at funerals or bedsides at a hospital, and I've even prayed myself when I was deeply discouraged or hurting. It's one of the most comforting verses in the entire book of Psalms. The Hebrew word in verse 18 for brokenhearted means to break or shatter something into pieces, like a dish being thrown on the ground. Oftentimes when our heart is been broken, we feel that God is distant from us. But this verse is a great reminder that no, he's, he's near. And he's closer than he's ever been before. Despite our feelings, the Lord is saying through David, I am near. You get my presence when you're brokenhearted. Even when you don't feel it. Verse 18 also says in the latter half, he saves the crushed in spirit. The Hebrew word used here means literally or figuratively to crush something into powder, but it also was used to, to describe someone who's contrite. Or as you heard me mention a couple weeks ago uh, in the psalm that I, 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 I preached on brokenness, the Hebrew word means to be broken in the sense of being humble, to be in the dust. Some Bible translations interpret the second half of verse 18 as describing those that have been discouraged by their troubles, while others interpret it as referring to those that have humbled themselves in their troubles. Regardless, the context is describing both the crushing weight of troubles and the importance of humbling ourselves by fearing the Lord. So, our final application. Bob gave us a preview of it earlier. Become a doer of the word. Become a doer of the word. The surest way to find out whether 
someone actually fears the Lord is to look at what they do with his word. Because the rubber meets the road, as they say, when, when the word conflicts with what you want to do and you have a decision to make. Am I going to do what I've already made up my mind to do or am I going to submit my heart and change and align myself with what God's word says? Behavior reveals true theology. Somebody can say, oh, I love Jesus. Yeah, he's the Lord of my life, man. They can serve in the children's ministry. They can serve on the worship team, sing songs, memorize scripture. But if their behavior doesn't align with God's word, then what they really believe is not God's word. And they really don't love the Lord. Behavior reveals true theology, what people really believe. Jesus said, if you love me, then obey my commands. Or to paraphrase in the current turn of phrase, don't tell me you love me, just show me that you do. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man or a woman who looks intently at a mirror, looks at his face in a mirror, and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. In other words, what James is saying is you would never do that. You would never get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror before work and then leave and forget what you look like. In the same way, you should never open God's word and look at it and go, oh man, I really need to apply this verse to my spouse. Man, they need this verse. I'm going to text it to them right now. No, 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 no. And instead, James is trying to say in James 1, 22 to 25, he's trying to say, you read the word to apply it to yourself. The word is like a mirror. It reveals things in your heart that need to be changed. And then James provides encouragement. He says in verse 25 of chapter 1, But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being a hearer who acts and does it, he will be blessed. The Lord blesses those that obey Him. So, the Lord is good to His people, even when we can't see it. And He blesses those that obey Him, and we will see the blessings. Why? Because the Lord delights to deliver us, so we will delight in Him. So it leads me to this question. What are you delighting in? Are you delighting in him? And have you been delivered? Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I realize that in a group this size, and those that are listening online, we have people that are in various seasons Some on mountaintops right now, and life is good and could never be better. Others are in the valley, maybe even the wilderness. 
So Lord, for those that are on the mountaintops, would you help them to learn to praise you continually and to be grateful for that season, knowing that it won't last forever. Lord, for those that are in a valley right now, that are in a tight, sticky situation, trapped, the enemy's closing in, please, Father, would you deliver them in your perfect timing. Would you encourage them? Father, for those that have been struggling to worship you because they're disappointed, they're discouraged, or they're, they're, they haven't been getting what they want from you, would you work in their heart supernaturally so that they can get above their emotions and lead their heart to worship you? To worship you even when you're not doing what they want you to do. Lord, for those that are struggling, also would you would you help them just just give them a glimpse? Would you just kind of pull back the curtain, Lord, and help them to see some of the good that you're doing? Would you send them some encouragement? That you've got this. That you're working even when they can't see it. Finally, Lord, would you help us as a church to be different than other churches in this community in that we are, help us, Lord, to be doers of the word where we will do what the scripture says even when it's hard, when it's uncomfortable, when it hurts requires us to change. Help us, Lord, to be a church that will do what the Word says when the Word maybe says we can't have what we want. And help us to trust that that's good. Lord, would you increase our appetite and our hunger for worship and praise of you. And give us wisdom, Lord, on the things in our lives that maybe we need to purge and get rid of that are taking our hearts away from you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're good to us and that you want to bless us when we obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.